Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. There was a period of time when I practiced 10 to 20 hours a day, and I seven days a week, sustained for 26 years straight of practicing with the cards. Where my, I go through three to six packs of cards a day. That is wow. dedication. That's how you become good. Well, that's what it takes to become the best at whatever it is you want to do. You have to just totally immerse yourself into that uh, art. And we'll be talking with this person today who does incredible things with playing cards and really signifies how practice really does make perfect. We'll speak with Richard Turner, who's won the Close-Up Magician of the Year Award for his skills manipulating decks of cards. And we'll talk to him about how he's able to do that despite being totally blind. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Richard Turner. Well, I have a tip. Don't let anyone tell you that there's anything that you can't do. I say take possible out of impossible. You know, and I understand that we're all dealt different hands, some good, some bad, but it's how we approach the hand. We choose to fold, wind, sit on our pity pot, or go all in like a Texas Hold'em player. That's what separates losers from winners. And what a perfect tip from a card mechanic. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by a site. Wearable electronic eyeglasses that support visual ability for people who are low vision or blind with visual acuity of 2600 or better. More information about the Ace Sight family is online at acesight.com. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting Richard. Hello, I'm Richard Turner. I live in San Antonio, Texas, and I make my living with a deck of cards. I gather you have a deck of cards with you. There's the shuffle sound that was done with one hand, mind you. You just <laughs> shuffled and made that sound? Uh-huh. That was the, yeah, I'll do it again. That's the cards. I'm lacing them up my left hand. Now I'm uh, cascading them into each other, and I did that with one hand. And I am ambidextrous, so now I'm taking it with my other hand and did the same thing. Cool. And you describe yourself as a card mechanic and do a bit of magic, but what's a little bit unusual about you is you have a visual impairment. Can you tell us a little bit about what you see and a little bit about your visual impairment? Yeah, I have a rare condition called Charles Bonnet syndrome. It's French. In English, it's Charles Bonnet syndrome, B-O-N-N-E-T, first documented by Charles Bonnet in 1760. It's basically a condition or a person who is blind and should see black, uh, sees uh, sporadic colors and patterns. So I don't see black. I see reds, blues, yellows, greens, and they're very, very bright, very vivid. And in amongst all these colors and patterns are every subconscious image you can imagine. Horses, dogs, anything you can imagine just floating around. And I can at will zoom in on any particular image, zoom it in, rotate it around, and use it to create things. I use the, the CBS to create things like uh, 
here's the simplest way to examine. I want to remember a phone number. I can write the phone number down in the air, just like you'd be writing on a, on a chalkboard, a computer screen, and it will stay in the air, and I'll see it floating in the air, just like uh, you'd see it on a computer. And my mind takes a picture of it, and I have what's called an eidetic memory, and so I never forget it. Totally in my mind. So this sounds like you used to be able to see so that you know what red and blue and green and all these different shapes are? That is very true. When I was nine years old, my sister and I, uh, she and I both caught scarlet fever. And we're not definitely sure that that was the cause of our vision decline, but we both caught it. And the same thing happened to both of us. We both lost our vision. Uh, so uh, up until nine, I had normal vision. And the first part that left, or that dissolved, was the macula, which is the center part of the eye, the retina. And then it slowly, over the years, dissolved out to the, where the full retina was uh, basically dissolved into nothing. So essentially, you have no functional vision, although you've learned to use this vision in an interesting way, writing on a chalkboard to remember numbers and things like that. Yes, I do have, uh, I, and that's what I call it, functional vision within the mind's eye. Very, that was very astute of you to, to actually, uh, on your own, think about the way I phrase it, and that is, like I said, functional vision. And I've had um, been interviewed by a number of Harvard medical professors on my condition. One neuroscientist you know, was explaining how because of the loss of vision, And in my case, my haptic and tactile neural network, which is part of the brain that relates to touch, basically bullied its way into my visual network. And those two parts of the brain blended together. And then on top of that, then I spent over 150,000 hours practicing with the cards on a microscopic level. And those three elements together have kind of brought me to having you have me on your show. (laughs) Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill. Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is about being a card mechanic. We started by asking Richard to make some of what we called card noises. But as you've already heard, he often punctuates his comments, and sometimes some of ours, with more card noises. He always has a deck of cards in at least one hand. One hand shuffle. Most of the noises are silent, like when I'm dealing <laughs> seconds and stuff. So, I love the one-handed shuffle, though. That's impressive to think that sound came out of one hand. Yeah, and, and not only do I do a one-hand shuffle, I just did it again. When I was on a show on the BBC 25 years ago, I actually had two decks of cards, red and blue. And I did a bunch of different, I took half red, half blue, shuffled them together, took half red, half blue, shuffled them together. Then I did a one-hand shuffle in each hand at the same time, and then one hand cut each hand at the same time. And then I spread out the cards, and they were totally red, separated from the blue, except for one selected card, the seven. And they were each in a different numerical order. And you can actually watch that if you just find it on the Paul Daniel Show Center. (laughs) Great. That's amazing. 
Richard is able to do just incredible things with playing cards. And we might not have believed any of these stories if we hadn't watched some of the videos. So in the introduction, you talked about going blind rather suddenly when you were nine years old. That must have been a difficult transition. Can you walk us through what happened in terms of getting retrained and accommodating to losing your vision? Yes, and I was uh, very rebellious because when uh, up until nine, my identity was through my art. At five years old, I was recognized as being able to do paint and draw way beyond my years. And uh, so that was my identity because I couldn't read or write. And so they had no facilities. And so then I was uh, sent to a special school where they had uh, room for the visually impaired. Back then they called it visually handicapped. And back then I despised the word handicapped. uh, And I even despised the word blind. And I was very rebellious. I was very ornery. So after you lost your ability to do visual arts, what got you interested in working with playing cards? Yeah, I started at seven years old, and people say, what got your interest? It was watching old westerns like Maverick with James Garner. The other reason is I was the oldest. We were very poor, and we had four games, chess, checkers, Monopoly, and a deck of cards. And I was the oldest. I did not like to lose. And when I played cards, I started figuring out ways to make sure that I did not lose. And we would play for M&Ms, the red being the most valuable. We used them like poker chips. So everyone ended up a red M&M. So we play and you know, there's my, got the reds for my sisters. And I got to get, a, get the greens and the yellows. And then finally the lousy browns, which were the least valuable. And so the, I would come up with ways to give myself an advantage. And I do, the first thing I came up with was realizing that if I dealt myself one extra card, I increased my odds by 20% um, by just by adding one card. And how I do it is back then I would start dealing to myself, then around the table and end with myself. And that discrepancy as a kid, nobody caught. Because <laughs> I start in with myself, so I ended up with one extra card. And then when you have the draw, you know, you throw some cards away and ask for new ones. That's when I would get rid of uh, the, that extra card. Interesting. And that was how it started. And then I'd watch Maverick. I wanted to be a cool gambler. And then I uh, got some of that information from uh, Mrs. Smith in the VH room. And, and it just kept propelling itself. And then the real cool thing was by the time I hit 21, I had reached a certain level of competency that I got the attention of a man named Di Vernon. And uh, he was born in 1894. That's, and uh, so and he was the, for six years the best in the world with a deck of cards. He passed away in 1992 at 98 years old. But anyway, he took a liking to me and saw obsessiveness in my makeup and in the same way he was obsessed. And so he became my mentor. And, uh, and through the years, real quickly, he would describe things to me and because I couldn't see what he was doing he tricked me he described them to me in the way that he wished they could be done in a, in a way that he wished they could do and because I believed they could be done because he'd say feel my hands he said this is the way that you should have the cards you held and and so I thought he could do it and so I would spend thousands of hours creating what he later he eventually admitted to me he thought was not possible <laughs> That's great. You know, sometimes just being convinced that something ought to be possible gives you an edge in terms of making it happen. It takes possible out of impossible. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. He was he was an amazing man. I, I was very, very blessed to have I'd spent 17 years with him. Now, you describe yourself primarily as a card mechanic. 
Do you also do other types of magic? Yes, but just to define the difference between a card mechanic and a card magician, because to the general public, they can almost seem the same. What I do is very magical, but it's not magic. A card mechanic is somebody who fixes a card game, just like an auto mechanic fixes a car. The term card mechanic goes back 50 years before the invention of the automobile. And a mechanic was somebody who can manipulate their cards in such a way that he can make anybody win or lose. And the hustlers through the 19th century, like the, well, I'm, I'm talking about 1800s, may spend tw- 10, 20, 30 years learning one or two moves, and that's what they were known for. And their purpose was to cheat the sucker out of their money. I just have to be an honest cheat. <laughs> <laughs> so can you give some examples of things that you do with a deck of cards? Oh, of course, because uh, it, is, it is visual, but I can explain it. Well, this is an audio-only program, so... <laughs> exactly. So that's why I'll, I'll give you a, a, a visual, uh, something you can vision within your mind. Uh, like, uh, example, I'll say, what's your favorite card? You might say seven. I'll say, how many players do you want? You might say six players. I say, where do you want to sit? Number four. I'll give the deck three casino shuffles, pass you the deck, and I'll say, deal out six hands like as if there's as if there's six players at the table, and one, two, fourth card is a seven, five, six, round the table, and every time the fourth uh, card is dealt, it's another seven, another seven, another seven, another seven. So I shuffled your cards back in the deck to the exact places you chose, and you dealt them to prove that I did it. That's one of the things I, I just returned from Russia. I was on a TV series called, how's this for a title? Superhuman Incredible People. And they were all uh, very, very incredible geniuses from, most of them from Russia, but uh, guys that can calculate numbers up into the trillions. It was just staggering. Um, but anyway, and, and, and it was because of uh, my uh, ability to, the, the way my brain has adapted uh, my touch, uh, how they combine themselves together that I was asked to be on the show. But anyway, that was one of the things I did for the show. So just to be clear for our listeners, what you're saying is you can take a pack of cards, shuffle them in such a way that when they're dealt, the cards that you want to come up will come up where you want them dealt. More than that, the cards they want will come up where they want them to come up. That almost sounds impossible. (laughs) It is impossible, except I'm an enigma. I'm an oddity, a certified oddity, mind you. And I guess that's why it takes 150,000 hours of practice to get that good with the cards. So this may be a silly question, but if somebody hands you a deck of cards and now you're going to manipulate it so that the seven comes up in the fourth position, how do you know where the seven is to begin with if you can't see the deck? Well, uh, okay, here, let's give you another example and this will just uh baffle your brain even further i will say what poker game do you want to play you'll say seven card stud as an example i'll say how many players do you want five players i'll say where do you want to sit number three you would ju- you have just shuffled the deck you have just put them in my hand i'll go one two i'll deal the third card i'll stop i hand you the whole deck back i'll say shuffle those cards out up and don't even give me back the whole deck. Just give me any random part of that deck you want. Just set it in my hand. You might send me five cards, ten cards. 
I'll go around to the third, posi third position, stop, deal it, hand the rest of the cards back, tell you to mix them together, take out any part of that deck you want and hand them to me. And the hand you chose, third player at a five-player table, will have the winning hand on the table. And so even if the deck was face up and you could see every card coming off the top of the deck, how could it be done even under those conditions? Or, or if you had a giant embossed uh, K on the K and a seven on a seven and a two on the two, how could it happen when I let you stop and shuffle? And I'll even let them stop and shuffle right before I take the card to the selected position. That's how far I push the envelope. Anybody that likes to watch that, you just Google Richard Turner, you'll find dozens of television shows and specials where I'm demonstrating these skills. So it's not, I can tell it to you. And it sounds like a bunch of hooey, but you can actually watch, you can actually watch it for yourself. <laughs> oh, it does. So I could almost understand if you started with the deck in a pre-configured situation and you handled the cards and could shuffle them, maybe tactically, you could work this all out with bazillions of hours of practicing. But in the examples you gave there, you gave the deck to someone else and they shuffled it and you kind of lost control. What is the secret there? That, that's the difference between a magician and a mechanic. Magicians are doing tricks with the cards and they're not actually doing what they're saying, where I have taken things to a level that, and it's really bad to say, but it, it can't be duplicated. Um, it is off the charts and it is off the charts difficult. And like I said, it, uh, there are a number of elements that have made it possible for me to do that. One, like I said, my the tap, the touch part of the brain blending with the visual part, and then on top of it, just endless amounts of working with the cards, an average of 14 hours a day and for a sustain for like 50 years. And that, and that's what I have fun with, you know, blowing people's minds because they go, that's just not conceivable. And the icing on the cake is, of course, that you're usually the one person who can't even see the cards that you're manipulating. Well, yeah. And I understand you actually use this skill as a part-time gig to consult with some of the card companies. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, what's the biggest card maker in the world? United States Playing Card Company. They're, just about every deck of cards you buy is made by USPC, United States Playing Card Company, USPC. And the Bicycle B, Steamboat, Hoyle, Tally Ho, they're all made by the same company. It's just there's different variations of quality between one label to the other, but they're all owned by USPC. And you tell them how good their cards are. Yes, I, I first started off by I, I me mean, telling them how they're screwing up. So they, uh, uh, after twice proving myself right, one in 1988, another in 1993, then they put me on retainer. They said, we hate to admit, the guy's been proven right. Put him on retainer. And so I've been uh, working with him ever since then, for 25 years or so. In fact, the president of USPC, actually wrote a note saying just about every deck that you touch out there on their high-end brands have been affected by the fingers of Richard Turner. And what is the difference between the kind of deck of cards that we would pick up at the corner store for a couple of dollars and these high-end decks? What, what do they do differently to make the cards? That's a very good question. And the thing is, the ones you pick up at the store are the same ones I'm talking about. So are the higher quality cards smoother or stiffer? Or... There's a dozen elements that I will write a report on when I analyze a, a, a deck of cards. The first is the cut. 
which way did the blade go through the card? Did it go through the front of the card or did it go through the back of the card? Probably they might not feel the difference, to it, but to me, it's like the difference of, uh, it sticks out, I'll just put it that way. Uh, so anyway, that's the first thing. And that's because every shuffle, you have the cards face down and you run with the grain when the cards are punched that way. That's the first thing I analyze. The next thing is the snap. How long does the card uh, hold up? If you uh, flick a card, you know, you hold it and I'm doing it there for you. Uh, and, it, it, and you flick it and it doesn't start going limp, then that, that's what you want. You don't want a card that starts going limp through the motions of shuffling or any kind of action that the deck might take on through your use of it. And uh, so the snap is the next thing, and that usually uh, relates to the moisture level. I bet you didn't know there was a moisture level in a, in a pack of cards, did you? I wouldn't have thought of it. Never crossed my mind. It, exactly. And like a 5.2 was the standard. I, I prefer a 4.5 moisture level. And I once again, I don't want to get off on, on this inside baseball stuff, mainly for the sake of your listeners. Um, but there's, like I said, there's a, there's a dozen different elements that I will analyze to determine uh, which what is good about this card, what is not. And when they're making changes in their process, they will send me a friend. So they give me, they send two dozen decks of cards and they're all pairs. So in other words, we have 12 pairs. And on one of those pairs, they changed one of the chemicals in the coding. So they mix them all up and they have a code back at, uh, uh, at USBC that will identify which card was which, with which card. I don't know that code. Only they know that code now, and then get my report on it. So that's how far um, I, I, they, they use my fingers to help identify and make, make the best uh, product on the, on the planet by far. Wow. Just so people don't think this is easy, this really is a lot of very hard work over many years. Yeah. Give our listeners an appreciation of the amount of practice that goes into becoming the expert that you are with cars. Yes. And just to put it in numbers, I started working with cards 59 years ago. I'm 66 now. There was a period of time when I practiced 10 to 20 hours a day, nice seven days a week, sustained for 26 years straight of practicing with the cards. Like other people will smoke packs of cigarettes. They go to sleep with a cigarette in their hand and they burn down the house. And where my, I go through three to six packs of cards a day. But when I fall asleep, I'll have the cards in my hands and they do not fall out of my hands when I go to sleep. Well, that's what it takes to become the best at whatever it is you want to do. You have to just totally immerse yourself into that uh, art. I understand that there's a documentary that's been made about you. If anybody wants to watch what you're doing and, and learn more, can you talk about that? Well, yeah, there's been a number of them. Uh, one, the one that's most well-known is called DELT, D-E-A-L-T, like Delta Hand of Cards. And it hit the theaters in 2017 and won a bunch of awards. It's all over the world now. You can watch it on Hulu in the States or any video-on-demand platform. Just Google it and you'll find it somewhere. And then uh, outside the U.S., it's on Netflix. Uh, anyway, it, uh, oh, it, oh, I was going to say, it also has audio description on it. So if you're visually impaired, just hit that AD uh, button and you can hear it and watch it. And then uh, there was another one that was just released uh, about five months ago, but it was uh, produced out of Kiev, Ukraine called I Like the Way I See. And it was for the Russian and the, and the Ukrainian markets, but it is, is in English, but with Russian subtitles. And then I just signed a deal 
to turn my life into a major motion picture. So there you go. That's something to, uh, that, that's the next adventure in the land of Odyssey that I live in. Cool. We recently watched Delt on YouTube, and it was a whole lot of fun and contains all sorts of information that we were not able to fit into our half-hour show. It was a great movie. It described his journey as a card mechanic from when he was an early youth to almost the present time, and also talked about his sister and how she dealt with blindness in a very different way. So I encourage you to watch that. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about Richard Turner's amazing card manipulation skills and how to contact him directly. If people want to find out more about you and your work, where could they find that information? You just Google Richard Turner and I'm the first person that shows up. My website is richardturner52.com, richardturner52.com, YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash ASA T52, ASA, A-S-A-T-52, capital A-S-A, capital T-52. My son's name is ASA Spades, but it's spelled A-S-A. So I, I, I named that YouTube after him, but uh, you can watch thousands of, well, not thousands, well, yeah, hundreds of shows from around the world. So I, I, I've actually been seen in over 200 countries by about 1.7 billion people. So I've been around the block. I guess it's easy to find you then. It's easy. Yeah. Just Google. It's easy. Just Google it and then pick what you want to watch. And if somebody had a question for you, is there a way they could reach you? Uh, just uh, my website is richardturner52.com. You put Richard at in front of it. That comes directly to me, Richard at richardturner52.com. I assume the 52 refers to how many cards are in a deck. You are so smart, Nancy. <laughs> She's good. She figures that one out all by herself. And I didn't even tip her off. You have been making card noises all along. <laughs> Does this count as part of your 10 hours a day? If I'm doing anything but computer work, it's just part of my life. I, what I do is I, real quickly... They say, what, how do you learn? I figure out my objective first, and then I will practice that that move or whatever it is in super slow motion till every exacting element of the muscle memory is firmly embedded in my brain. And then I'll slowly speed it up, and then I turn it into a subconscious habit to where I'm doing it while I'm sitting there talking to you. I've, I've probably done hundreds of different moves over the course of the past half hour, totally subconsciously. Well, I guess that's how you get good. And of course, if you're looking for any of that contact information, it will be in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. I want to also remind our listeners, if you have any comments, suggestions for future shows, or anything else you want to say to us, you can reach us by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. We enjoy hearing from our listeners, learning where they're from, how they heard about the show, and what they like or don't like about the show. 
That's it for show number 2046. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about using various web browsers with a screen reader. Sometimes one web browser just isn't enough. We'll speak with David Kingsbury from the Carroll Center for the Blind about his new book that describes why this is true and why you might find the need for more than one browser. He'll talk about the book and how various web browsers can be used with the popular screen readers. We hope you'll join us next week for that episode. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy, and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.